Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOL. New SkyRadio.com. What are crop circles? What do they mean? And what happened at Aztec, New Mexico on March 25th, 1948? Well, hello there, and welcome to the 200... And 39th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and the guy asking those many and varied questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. Well, first of all, it's Mother's Day in the United States, and we'd like to wish a happy Mother's Day to mothers everywhere. Very best wishes and many blessings. And now to something completely different. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me. In nearly three years on the air, we have never before done a show about crop circles or crop formations. But that, I, I hope, will change tonight as we discuss that <laughs> <laughs> and some other important UFO topics. We, we, we seem to be um, – well, go ahead, Ben. Okay, so uh, we do not have our guest yet, but we will try and hook up with them hopefully after the break or during – well, during the break. I mean, so for those – for some illustrations on crop circles – and we do this, and we are very pleased to not have our guest uh, and good friend. Uh, Linda no, you're confusing me. I'm confusing me too. Okay. Well, uh, we had Linda Moulton house scheduled for this evening. Uh, we will try to get her during the break. There might be some sort of a, a mix-up uh, at her uh, facility in uh, New Mexico. She is an expert in crop circles, very well known from coast to coast. AM. We're now into science journalist, and we'll do our introduction in hopes of getting her at least during the next break. Uh, Linda is a three-time Emmy Award-winning journalist, filmmaker, author, and broadcaster who holds a master's degree in communication from Stanford University. She has devoted her documentary film, television, and radio career to productions about science, medicine, and the environment. The recipient of many local, national, and international awards, her films have included Poison in the Wind and A Sun-Kissed Poison, which compared smog pollution in Los Angeles and Denver. Fire in the Water, about hydrogen as an alternative energy source to fossil fuels. A Radioactive Water, about uranium contamination of public drinking water in a Denver suburb. And A Strange Harvest, which explored the worldwide animal mutilation mystery, uh, which has haunted the United States and other countries from the mid-20th century to date. Investigative reporter for Premier Radio Networks, Linda is a familiar voice on Coast to Coast AM, and among other books, she is the author of Mysterious Lights and Crop Circles. Linda was an outstanding contributor to our 16-hour series on the Woodbridge-Bentwaters UFO incidents of 1980, which aired on CBS New Sky Radio and Achieve Radio last year. Her website is earthfiles.com. Uh, I would suggest that you, uh, you visit that at some point. There's all sorts of marvelous news. Linda, of course, being a distinguished science journalist, she... Uh, records all sorts of, of Fortean news as well as science news in general and environmental news. A wonderful, wonderful site, earthfiles.com. So we'd like to say welcome, but we don't have her with us yet. We will try again during the break. In the meantime, let's turn to our ever-interesting pile of emails. <clears throat> anyway, here is one. Uh, subject is the multiverse, and uh, the writer is Matthew from Seattle. Right. Okay, so... While I agree with your amazingly insightful view of all things paranormal, don't you think you put too much emphasis on the multiverse? I do love your show. It's refreshingly intelligent and deep. 
Okay, well, thank you very much for your kind words, Matthew. However, I'm a little confused by this. Maybe Ben understands it better than I do, but I'm a little confused on this question of putting too much emphasis on the multiverse. If, as in our opinion, the multiverse, multiverse being the community, uh, interactive community of parallel worlds that make up the reality and that, in our opinion, explain all areas of the paranormal in one way or another, if the multiverse sums up reality, how can you put too much emphasis on it? I don't quite understand the it's point. Like, it's like going to church and saying, why are you putting so much emphasis on God? <laughs> yes, I think that that might be that might be part of the thing. Now, I think that there, there might be... I think I get what he's saying, because it's like every other thing we say, it's like, well, the multiverse this, the multiverse that... Well, like, uh, if if we're, like, talking about something that's, like, seems like it's completely unrelated, like, let's say Chupacabra, and it's like, well, the multiverse is, it could be real somewhere or somewhere. I mean, I think that's what he's talking about. Well, perhaps perhaps I see the point. There are, uh, well, for example, someone someone very, very wisely uh, suggested, it's something we had, had uh, suspected ourselves, that within the multiverse there might be things that we actually make fun of, which is generally the old spiritualist idea and the spirit world. But as we sometimes point out ourselves, people would not be able to have those concepts if there were not some place or some time in the multiverse where those things actually existed in some form form or another. Now, uh, getting that from the idea in quantum mechanics that all things that are possible exist somewhere or somewhere in this multiverse. Then does that, that also brings up the idea, does it... Is there such a thing as an original thought? Well, it depends on what you mean by original. Since in quantum mechanics, causes can take place before the effects that they caused, and the time really doesn't mean anything, you know, it's the chicken before the egg thing. I mean, the question really has no meaning. Is there an original thought? They're all original thoughts, and none of them are original thoughts. Since it basically comes down to us... It's a paradox. It is something of a paradox, I suppose. So I guess I understand Matthew's question, but I would say no, we don't emphasize it too much, because as I say, if it sums up reality, then how can you emphasize it? That's how I would put it. Maybe we could, we could use another term just to be uh, creative: metaverse, I've heard omniverse, whatever. Or but the why do we need words to describe it at all? I know it's just something you experience. So I, I, I suppose I don't know if that answers your question, Matthew, but that's. Kind of the thing that we uh, we're getting at here. Uh, ooh, okay. I've got some. Uh, now we're, we're going to continue. This, this is from. Okay, uh, this is from Ginger, and I don't know where Ginger's from. I don't think. And we have been kind of working on this very long email as we have gone here and there uh, over a number of shows. Uh, Ginger points out that she is thirty-seven and is bedridden with severe chronic fatigue syndrome and has had a number of um, experiences here. Let's see. Uh, Perhaps we could pick it up. I think we need to pick it up from here. Uh, We'll we'll just do a little bit because we're coming up on a break. We'll hopefully get our guests. Uh, By a little bit, you mean the biggest chunk of the the thing. Okay, so um, because of my limitations, I I was introduced into the world of the paranormal through all the various TV shows. I know most of them probably make you cringe, but I'm reading right. your book, Footsteps in the Attic. Would you be surprised at how much in common you have with these teams and the cases they work on? Well, that was before you knew anything. Well, not, well you knew about <laughs> it, but... Yeah, I wrote all my books before I knew it. Wait a no, minute. I mean, 
Now, anyway, continuing. No, no, I, I, all right, go ahead. Just a little bit more. Okay, um, it was ironic that while I was reading your chapter about your trip to England and your experience in the Moors, a show called Celebrity Ghost Stories was on the Biography Channel, and an actor talked about how during his honeymoon uh, there there in 1980, he and his wife came upon an entire ghost town, or just another day in the multiverse. It it was strange in in that uh, not one of the 30 or so people they saw were talking, and when they got creeped out and asked for directions, they tapped on a, on a woman to ask for directions, and she turned turned around and began speaking to them in tongues. And she had clear eyes that had no irises or slash pigmentation to them. I hope you saw this segment. I've uh, actually, never even heard of this. I never even heard of it either. Uh, we have cases like that in our files. We, we had a recent one, uh, Ginger, where, of course, these people had uh, – they had happened some years ago, but the couple was retired and told me about it when I was speaking uh, in Providence, Rhode Island, and they were saying that they had been to uh, hunt down some ghost towns in Utah and had come upon one that supposedly really didn't even exist anymore, and they went to see the site, and there was a town, fully functioning town, where everybody was speaking Dutch. Everyone kind of looked at them strangely. People were dressed oddly, and the cars were funny, and everything was wrong somehow. But they they actually physically interacted. They had lunch. Uh, they used the, the bathroom and things of this kind. And uh, that that seems to be the similar thing. But, uh, you know, I, I tell you, I don't really watch these shows. I don't know. Ben picks them up here and there. But I, I, just, I, I just don't. First of all, I don't. Think, take a lot of these groups very seriously. Now, I don't mean to be unfair to the ones who are very serious and who are working. Uh, and uh, I think what you mean that when you say that some of our that they're talking the cases and footsteps in the attic were kind of like some of these. Well, yeah, but I don't think the approach is the same. Uh, and we'll continue answering this. We'll try to get our guest uh, during our break uh, here on Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com. Stay with us. Psychic Radio. PsychicOnAir.com. The Wake Up Call with Ellen Tom. I know the torment that I put my mother through, and I've seen the lessons that she's brought to you, so I love you. And I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I'm sorry. She feels your pain. I'm yes. st- well, I actually do from a distance. Now that I'm not the tweaker, I can understand that it's it's not always pretty. Hi, it's Tom Force. Reverend L. Newman and I are here Monday nights, 7 till 9, prime time, Eastern time in the United States, with Wake Up Call on Psychic Radio. Psychic Radio. We know you're listening. Life is a journey. Let us be your guide. Reach out on the net now, psychiconair.com. Look for Psychic Radio on your AOL radio player. Turn around someday. 
CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal. With Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. And we're back behind the paranormal. I'm afraid we were unable to reach our guest during the break, Linda Moulton Howe, the distinguished science journalist who was scheduled for this evening. I hope nothing uh, ill-toward has occurred. So we'll continue with our plan B and uh, continue with our emails and cases and some paranormal news. We were dealing with a very lengthy email from Ginger, which we've been dealing with gradually as we've gone through several shows. And she was mentioning that uh, Ginger was mentioning that a lot of the stories in my book, Footsteps in the Attic, reminded her of some of the ghost uh, television shows that are on. And they may be. Uh, I, I don't generally like those shows. She's right. I do rather cringe at them. I do not watch a lot of them, so I don't want to be unfair and say that they're all baloney, because they probably aren't. But the cases may be similar in some ways, but the methods and theories we use are entirely different, and the results we get are, <laughs> I think, a lot more interesting than a lot of these folks get. Uh, we have talked much about that sort of thing, and we'll do so as we mention a few cases uh, based on, on what I'm talking about now, which I'll mention in a few minutes. And if, uh, and I guess also we're talking about, um, here's, actually, I'll continue, because Ben has stepped out of the booth here, so I'll, I'll continue reading this. Uh, this same channel, like he's talking about the uh, Biography Channel, has a My Ghost Story show, and one segment took place in Texas, whereby a parasite... I don't know. I wonder if they use the term parasite. That's pretty much a term that we use a lot. I was invading a home, but only got nasty and showed itself when a medium came to the house. Now, I'll stop right there because that, that's an experience we've had for a long time. When I worked with Ed and Lorraine Warren back in the early 70s, Ed and Lorraine Warren, not, I guess not too well known on the West Coast, but she, they were probably the grandfather and grandmother of modern ghost hunting. They didn't have 
really any academic credentials, but they had gotten into the field early in the, I guess, the 1950s. And uh, Ed has since passed away, but Lorraine is still active. And Lorraine is a medium, and Ed was simply, a, uh, I guess, the first of the great early ghost hunters. They're very controversial because of some of their methods, or sometimes some might say lack of methods. Others that uh, they uh, sort of, um, well... They didn't keep track of records very... I don't know. I, I can't speak to any of that, but I did work with them on several occasions. And the um, idea of using seances and things were was was common with them because it was assumed to be a normal procedure for determining what the problem was in a quote-unquote haunted house. But with my theological background and some of the things I was working on very early on, I, I like to think that I talked them out of doing seances and things of this kind. Uh, and we would find that the, because Lorraine said to me, it's funny you should mention that because when we do a seance, things sometimes get worse. And here is Ginger mentioning the same phenomenon uh, as being reported on this television show. A medium came to the house because things kind of got worse. I think because they're assuming that it's the spirit of a dead person, which actually, when actually it uh, is uh, oftentimes or most of the time or not all the time, but most of the time, in our experience, something that is no such thing, a parasitical entity, non-human, feeding off the buttons, or I should say feeding off the energy it creates by pushing buttons in the family or wherever it happens to be. And uh, again, you cannot assume these things are what they appear to be. Nothing in the paranormal is what it appears to be. That's been my experience over 41 years of doing this. Anyway, uh, to continue with what Ginger says here, she had a clear photo she had taken of a plasma-like substance, something we get all the time, that she ran into in the backyard area. There was clearly the face of a demon in the plasma. Now, that, uh, that's a subjective judgment, but yeah, probably something might have been there. Uh, the homeowner seemed to decide that because the, quote, parasite wasn't bothering him, even though it was on his property, he would just let it be. Well... I don't know. I, that, I have several opinions on that. Do you think that it, that it is a safe practice that is not getting rid of whatever it is, even if it hasn't personally caused him trouble yet? Well, that's a very difficult question at times, uh, Ginger, because many of these things we've found, that these parasitical entities, these non-human entities who are from parallel worlds, some, somehow have access to ours by means of the energies at the site, I would like to know if this site has high-tension wires near it, or if there's a high water table, or if there's clay or sandy soils, anything that would conduct electromagnetic fields or make them stronger in such a way that these things seem to be, would seem to be able to use these things to access our reality uh, would be able to, to do so. So uh, I think that there are times when you cannot really get rid of them. In my experience, you can keep them in the background. You can put them to sleep. But I think there are places where you just shouldn't build houses. And among these places are areas like this where there are energies that somehow you mu people must feel just aren't right. And some of these are conducive to the presence of these, these parasites or uh, whatever or other paranormal phenomena that may seem unrelated. But again, uh, there are places where worlds overlap. So I would say each case has to be dealt with individually. When we encounter these these things, these portals or, or areas where parasites are coming through or anything else is coming through, you have to take it one case at a time. Uh, as I say, uh, you might not be able to actually get rid of it. We can't necessarily control these things, but we can, in my experience, 
put them in the background or put them to sleep because, you know, let's face it, you're paying the mortgage and uh, there, there are things that can be done. There are things that can be done in the case of parasites when it comes to sort of taking away their strength and that's stopping the food supply. You stop the food supply by simply, and I can't put a scientific finger on this, but you stop the food supply by bringing positive energy into the scene, humor especially. You don't understand the power of humor. I mean, don't laugh at each other, but I mean, have, have good feeling and uh, joviality in the house in a, good, in, in a positive sense. Love, especially. Respect for each other. Coming together. Standing shoulder to shoulder. Holding hands. These, uh, prayer. Faith. These things have tremendous power if they are positive. So you might not be able to get rid of these things, but you can certainly keep them out of your hair. That's, that's really the best answer I can give. That. Other than that, on a case-to-case basis, uh, we do have photographs of plasma-like substances that have turned out, in our opinion, to be these parasites. I'd like to know if this this television show used the term parasite. Somebody wrote to us last week, and we read it on one of our shows. It was almost funny, blaming Ben and I for the spread of these nefarious multiverse ideas. She was a good old-fashioned medium, she said, and uh, was finding her, her, her way tripped up by people who were hearing about some of these ideas that undermine the traditional spiritualist approach to these things. I feel and, like we're, we're like Martin Luther or something, or someone who's nice yeah, to Martin Luther. Martin and, Luther's of the paranormal. I don't know. Well, again, these ideas aren't entirely ours, although I think we are probably among the few, may, probably the first, uh, I was maybe, I don't know, uh, to actually apply these theories and methods to paranormal work. I don't know, but I think so. And it's beginning to spread because people write to it. Paranormal investigators write to us. It makes so much sense. Like, it's not like, oh, it's your dead uncle. He's just angry that you ate his cannoli a few years ago. It's like, <laughs> yeah. what? No, well, that just doesn't make any sense. Well, exactly. But, you know, we have paranormal investigators writing to us saying that they're, they've tried our methods and they're amazed by the results. And, you know, not always, but uh, I don't like to think that maybe we're Starting to move this Making this field difference. along a little bit to some to something some place that ought to be more than you know the old time stuff going bird watching or ghost hunting yeah okay well so we'll we'll continue I finished that paragraph and if you want to just do that right. next paragraph on Ginger's letter here lastly because of my illness and the fact that I live three thousand miles away from my family other than my dear husband I am alone a lot I feel very very vulnerable and get so worried that I am bait for something. I am so scared sometimes that I'm actually shaking my bed under the covers. Any suggestions? Okay. Well, Ginger, th- that is a an interesting observation because, uh, not to alarm you, but we have found that people who are bedridden, uh, unemployed, uh, any in any way stuck in one particular place, if they don't keep the atmosphere as positive as possible – can be vulnerable to these things. I'm thinking particularly of the, uh, the Ben was too young to get involved, but it was 1998, and there was a case in Rhode Island with a young woman who was uh, just in this position. She wasn't ill, but she was unemployed, uh, really had no motivation, uh, was in the house all the time, and uh, was, you know, dwelling on her misfortunes and things like this. And there was a parasitical entity, which I believe was attached to the site, and uh, it, it began to pick on her. She would wake up at night feeling uh, uh, hands around her neck. And we actually had someone in the room with her while she was sleeping. And this, this occurred. And she sat up and she had actually red marks on her neck. 
And we had a witness in the room that showed that he didn't see this, but he heard movement. He saw something sitting on the bed, which he couldn't see with his naked eye, et cetera, et cetera. And we I went in and, and uh, did what we could. And she, what actually, she, she solved this by bringing in positive energy, by, by getting a job. And actually, she married uh, some a marvelous guy who turned out to be, of course, a, a, a native elder, which that doesn't hurt. And she moved out of the site, something we'd suggested, and everything's been fine ever since, as far as we know. So it's a matter of keeping things as positive as possible. Read positive books, humor, uh, positive spirituality. Keep yourself busy as much as you can, despite your, your illness. And I would say that is probably uh, the best uh, formula for, for not being bait to anything. If you're not doing anything to feed them, if you're not being negative, if you're not being nasty, if you're not being angry or fearful, that in itself does not provide food for these things, and, and they generally will not be attracted uh, to you. So I, I don't think you have too much to worry about, Ginger. I think you're uh, you're on the right track because you simply realize this. So in any case, we're getting ready to come down on another break. We will try to get our guest again, and we ask you to stay with us on Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS News Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com. Be right back. Now the party's over. I'm so tired. Then I see you coming. Out of nowhere Much communication In emotion Without conversation Or an ocean
Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. Welcome back, and we're very pleased to have with us Linda Moulton Howard, scheduled guest this evening, at least for the second half hour of the show, and uh, very pleased she could join us. So, Ben, take it away. Great. So, without uh, any further ado, so uh, how far back do crop formations go, and where did the where were they first seen? Well, there are uh, there is one woodcut report that goes back into the 1500s, 1600s, uh, and where a farmer said that they watched something that they described in the woodcut, if you can imagine, uh, where they weren't didn't have cameras. So a, a scene in wood was cut of a what looks like a crop circle in the cut wood, and there is something that looks like a demon, and I think it's called the devil made a circle. And it is in England, and it, it is the first so-called recorded in some kind of a format of something that would be a circle made by something other than human that somebody watched, the farmer watched. If you set that aside and say that is an anomalous sort of historic piece, and you come up to the more modern age, there were stories of people... Uh, finding circles in cereal crops during World War I, World War II, and Lucy Pringle has written about some of those cases. There have been a few eyewitnesses in the 20th century of seeing what they said felt to them, like swirling air came down over them, and it uh, tingled, uh, made the hair stand up on their arms, and a circle formed right around a couple that was also documented in Lucy Pringle, one of her books. <laughs> but when you come to what we now think of as the complicated geometries of the crop formations, that did not start until, I would say, the late 80s in terms of more complexities beyond uh, circles. And those were known in uh, like 1986, 87, 88, 89, somewhere especially as we're getting into 89 to 90, as king kunxes. It's a q u i n q u king kunks q u n x. It's a very unusual word, and it means four circles placed. And in England, if you talk about a king kunks as they were described then, they are associated with the Celtic cross the relationship on a Celtic cross, the circles, the top, they're not evenly spaced. They're the three on the top are slightly further. They're not equidistant on that central axis. And the King Kong circles that were connected uh, into by bars, all, all of that was happening in the 19, uh, late 1980s. And then in 1990 into 1991, that is when the huge covering 500, 600 feet of multiple circles and patterns began springing up all over uh, southern England. And I went myself in for the first time in the summer of 1992, having uh, been the supervising producer on a television series that became Sightings in Los Angeles. And while we were working on that in uh, the summer of 1991, Crop circles were being covered by 2020 
uh, photographs were in the New York Times, uh, the London Times. They were all over the world. There were stories about uh, complicated patterns in wet rice paddies in Japan. And so by the uh, uh, 92, I went to England myself for the first time. And I'm going to share with you one of the experiences that I had that have always grounded me in the, I guess you would say, kind of the first-hand experience that we're dealing with some kind of a very profound intelligence. But I realized before I go into my experience in 92 that I must address what happened in 91. In 1991, while we were working on the TV series in Los Angeles, headlines were around the planet in at least 33 countries that summer, crop formations in the Northern Hemisphere, then there were grass circles in Australia, in the Southern Hemisphere. Uh, it was uh, it just as if the planet were exploding with cereal crop and grass patterns. Well, it was September, if I recall, for some reason, it seems to me it was September 9th, 1991, that newspapers around the planet echoed a what I consider to have been a tabloid television uh, report with the so-called notorious Doug and Dave. They were two <laughs> gentlemen in their 60s who were trotted out in front of a tabloid TV, made all the newspapers in the U.K., and they said, we are the ones responsible for this. We have been making circles. We will demonstrate how we take our sticks and our string, and they did this for the uh, TV tabloid. I remember that. And <laughs> the New York Times, I think it was on page two or three, in the front half of the New York Times had a full half upper half story. Uh, I think it went crop circle mystery solved and says Doug and Dave are the answer. And for those of us who have been studying and been interviewing people who knew it was going on around the world in two hemispheres, we knew immediately that Doug and Dave were not responsible for the global phenomena. They said themselves in their interview that they had made crop formations in only two counties in southern England. This was from their own admission. And to me, at the time, it was sort of a shock that my fellow journalists, if you want to put it in that category, since I have been working as an investigative reporter and TV producer since I graduated from Stanford in 1968, had made documentaries for years, uh, was in the uh, mainstream media profession, and to see somebody like the New York Times run, they were copying, they were copying UK, uh, uh, you know, if you think of the, the uh, oh, I don't know, the Sun, the Daily Mail, if you think of copying them and then run it on page three of the New York Times, I never thought the New York Times would ever do such a thing without independent investigation, but that is what happened. And as soon as the New York Times uh, ran their story, the, of course, the Los Angeles Times, Chicago, the Boston Globe, everybody would follow the leadership of the New York Times, and pretty soon, within a very short period of time, 
everywhere it was accepted by the majority of the media and the public, oh, these are being made by people. Well, why is that not true? Uh, it definitely is not true about the formations from that period of time. And it is a sad comment on the fact that journalism in 1991 had already gone downhill so much that the New York Times would follow suit without any investigation. They just copied copy. So now, with all of that as background to the uh, phony Doug and Dave story of September of 1991, I'm going to jump now to July approximately um, eight months later, in uh, 1992, and it's my first trip to go into the British uh, or English crop circles, and I was with half a dozen other people, and we had parked a car and had come across the what is now called uh, the Milk Hill Ridge, uh, very uh, famous for anybody who's been over the past few years to England because crop formations almost every year are found somewhere below the Milk Hill Ridge. And we had been told that there was a very large pattern of circles and paths down below what is called the Milk Hill White Horse. So we are going along the top of the ridge. Keep in mind, this is my very first time, my first steps uh, coming into England with the intent of getting into one of these mysterious crop formations. And we get up on a hill, we're looking straight down into this huge pattern. It ended up, it was like 475 or 480 feet long. It was a very unusual pattern. And as we're looking down on it, it was that feeling of elation when you're a kid. Hmm. This is like... I'm afraid I have to stop you there because we have to take a break, Linda. Okay. But we'll hold on to that. We'll be right back. Because this is really incredible. Yeah. Uh, Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com. Stay with us.
CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. And we are back with our very distinguished guest, Linda Moulton House, science journalist, Emmy Award-winning reporter. And she was just about to tell us her experience for the first time walking into a crop circle and the feeling of elation that she had. Please continue. And you guys, do you remember what you felt like when you were kids on a Christmas morning and you still think there's a Santa Claus and the magic of it all? Oh, I still that believe was, in Santa Claus. Yeah, well, that's that feeling we all had as we started running down this tram area, down the hill and then into a tram line that would get us along the edge of this big formation and knowing that this was the first formation for all of us. And because of... The, the way the tram line and how we ran down, we were spaced in a line. I happened to be closer to the front going down, so I kept going further, and everybody uh, it kind of veered off, if you want to put it that way, at different points along this enormous pattern. So I'm at the as far end as uh, you could go, and everybody else was kind of spaced off down the rest of the formation, so we are each sort of alone, and I learned later that everybody had the same experience that I had, which was I was getting my 35-millimeter camera with a lens uh, on the strap, make, making sure that everything was firm, and I was going to start photographing as I approached the formation, which is just a habit of mine to start photographing anything new before I'm actually in it. And as I got up to the edge, it was as if I hit jello. And I am not exaggerating. It felt like jello. If you put your finger on top of a jello inside of a mold, it was like that, only vertical, so that when I hit it, I was stunned. I was startled. I wasn't sure what I was hitting, but it made me stop right at the edge of the formation where I was, and I noticed everybody else was stopped as well, and we're not yelling to each other. I think everybody was going into a kind of their own incredible experience, and I stood there for quite a while just taking photographs and realizing that I was seeing in one particular place in this one circle, which is where I happened to be entering, there I could count with my eyes at least three to four layers. That startled me. 
And finally, whatever this was, this jello feeling like an electrostatic field that was very strong, it began to relax, and I realized that people to my left were starting gingerly to walk into where they were, so I tried stepping in, and I did not like the feeling that I was stepping on this remarkable thing. I remember that. I did not want my feet to be putting pressure on these beautiful, incredible fluid, like I was stepping onto water, even if this was cereal crop. And where I could see with my eyes standing at the edge, these three or four layers, I went, that's where I went first, and I got down on my knees. There were seven different layers all the way to the ground, and every single layer was going a different direction. And once I saw that, and the fluidity, if you can imagine that it looked like waves of water and spirals of water and didn't look like plants, with seven layers going different directions, you're beginning in your mind to see what it was we were encountering. And then something just seemed to pull or tug me toward the far right, which again is taking me as far away from the other people at the far other end as possible. And I went all the way to the very end. And as I stood at the very, like as far as you could go, where I'm on crop that is down and the edge of the standing crop is stopping me from going any further and it was almost instantaneous as I stopped at the edge. I got, I guess you would say, something like a telepathic feeling. I became aware that I was being watched, only it was more than being watched. I felt like I was being absorbed. And it was as if there was an intelligence there so profound and so huge, and I could not not see anything. I was feeling all of this. And suddenly, I remember thinking of the eyes of a Bengal tiger, meaning they are the, those big cats have always been my favorite animal on the planet. And when you stare at them, whether you're on a safari in Africa or even if you are at a zoo, and you look into the eyes of a Bengal tiger, for example, you don't need to speak any language. You know the intelligence that's coming out of those eyes. It is palpable. They are strong. They are profound. And that is exactly what this felt like. It was not a comforting feeling, and it was not a, uh, it was not a threatening. This was a very interesting feeling. There was something about it that I felt it could be dangerous but not in a, an attack way, that there was something about whatever this energy was that was still there that was absorbing me felt absolutely other than human and so profound. I've never forgotten it, and I know, I know as firmly as I am here today that that which was I could not see but which was uh, absorbing me and putting this impression in my mind was the creator of those circles in those paths that stretch wow. for 480 feet. And once you've experienced that, and I'm not the only one who has, once you've experienced that, I don't care how many of these creepy people who get together to go out to make man-made crop formations so they can laugh, 
so they can do whatever it is that makes them uh, feel that they are pulling something over on other human beings. They don't make anything like the crop formations that strike you at your soul level as something so extraordinary that nothing else, it doesn't matter what people say or write or do, you know that you have interacted with something that is so far beyond human life. And that is the intelligence that is, I think, responsible for the phenomenon that we have called the crop formation phenomenon. And I think part of it is not necessarily any kind of communication for humans. I think it has to do with a measuring system of something that might be as complex as time, travel, and gauging how effective certain uh, leap backs in time are because I think there is some kind of a survival problem. Theirs and ours, and it's all entwined together just like the crops in the formation. I hate to say it, but we're going to have to end it there. We're just about out of time. But, Linda, you have set the tone for the next show, which will be very soon, and it is yes. absolutely riveting. Please tell us for a moment about earthfiles.com and where people can get your books. Thank you. I look forward to coming back very soon. And my news website, 11 years and counting, earthfiles.com, focused on science, environment, and real X-Files. I hope to hear from a lot of you, and I really look forward to doing a whole hour with you next. That'll be great. Well, Linda, thank you very much. Are you speaking anywhere um, in the next few weeks that people could maybe know about? I'll be in Nashville, Tennessee, in the last, I think it's the last weekend in June at uh, Whitley Strieber's Dreamland Conference. And for everybody who wants to keep up with where I'm speaking, I always have the links and the dates and the places at the top of earthfiles.com. Excellent. Thank you so much, Linda. And we're just about done. Wanted to thank our producer, Will Kosnick. We'll see you next Sunday, May 15th at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 Pacific, right here on CBS New Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com. Ben and I will welcome author and researcher Dr. Mark Pittstick for a, tr- a talk about proof for the existence of the human soul. All right. So, unfortunately, our usual uh, New England Drive Time show on WON 1240 AM and com will not air tonight, tomorrow because we have been preempted by the Boston Red Sox slash Minnesota Twins game. That's never happened before, but it's uh, assured by the Sports Network that it was a scheduled mix-up. Yeah, right. A well, scheduled we, mix-up, they're, yes. They're paying us anyway. <laughs> okay, so we'll be back. There, uh, we'll be back live there next Monday. Okay, and in the meantime, we leave you from a qu- with a quote from that merry old soul, Albert Einstein. Technical progress is like an axe in the hands of a pathological criminal, unquote. Technological progress. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we'll see you next time.